Hello everyone, here is Daniel and uh, today I'm here with uh, Steve Dennis. Steve is the author of the best-selling book Remarkable Retail and uh, he's the founder of uh, Sageberry Consulting. He's a Forbes senior contributor and strategic advisor to many uh, global retail organizations. The way how actually I found uh, him is uh, through his podcast and uh, he had a conversation with the SVP of Target, Nancy King, and I listened to this talk. It was really interesting. This show is sponsored by Budai Media. Budai Media is a fully remote e-commerce focused retention marketing agency. In the last three years, Budai Media worked with more than 100 e-commerce clients and generated an eight-figure extra revenue for these clients. If you want to check out their website, go to the Budai Media media.com and just send an email or actually you can just drop a message to me on any of my social media channels if you are interested to work with us now we have steve here today so how are you steve i'm great thanks for thanks for having me on before we start talking about the business stuff let's say i always ask our guests what is their personal background and uh, how did you start uh, your career and uh, how did you end up where you are at the moment <laughs> well that's a very good question because it's been kind of a long strange trip uh, way back when when i was uh, going to college i thought i was going to end up as a lawyer but i ended up through it's a very long story but the net of it is i ended up uh, going into partnership in a small business during my junior year with a guy who's become quite famous a guy named seth godin and uh i got really kind of the entrepreneurial bug so i bailed on the idea of going to law school and decided instead to go to business school because i had gone straight from college to business school and had only this small business experience i didn't really know what i wanted to do and so i defaulted to working for a big consulting firm, which I did for a few years. And that kind of helped me understand the sort of things I wanted to do, the sort of industries I was interested in, was with a food company for a few years. And then almost 30 years ago now, makes me feel really old, I ended up going to work in retail for Sears Roebuck and Company in Chicago. And I've never left the world of retail. Kind of got the the bug, I guess. I found it fascinating in terms of the complexities, uh, you know, even before we get into the whole digital world. And I just really like consumer psychology and trying to figure out what uh, makes consumers get engaged and enrolled in the brands that they love or figure out why they don't love them so much. Thanks for sharing your story. It was really interesting to hear. And uh, your book, Boring Retail, is over. So what this exactly means in 2022? The premise of the book and what I've been talking about in my keynotes and workshops for probably four or five years is really observation that as we shifted to this more digitally connected world, you know, we went from a world where retail was largely about consumers going to a physical store and, you know, having to gather information largely from salespeople or their friends or maybe a magazine, but, you know, very traditional media. In order to see what was available, you had to go to the store you could only buy what happened to be in stock in those given stores. And if you wanted to explore a lot of choices, you basically had to run around town or, or perhaps travel pretty far. But, you know, obviously over the last 15 or 20 years, we've shifted to this world of abundance where there's almost infinite choice. You know, you can do just about anything you want from anywhere in the world, you know, next day, sometimes same day, uh, you get information about products and pricing and all that kind of stuff. All that friction has gone away. So in a world of this abundance of choice, abundance of information, to be merely very good is often even not good enough anymore that you really have to distinguish yourself by being remarkable. So if you're a, a boring retailer, mediocre retailer, or a very average retailer, the odds that you'll even get noticed by customers, much less get the sale without a deep discount, are going down and down. And we've really seen this play out 
particularly in the United States, but in a lot of other markets where these retailers that are stuck in what I call the boring middle, in other words, they're not the lowest price, they're not the most efficient or convenient, but they also don't, yeah, they don't, or they don't, you know, but they don't have anything really unique from a product perspective or customer service or, or environment. You know, that is where most of the troubles in retail over the past decade really have occurred. And we've seen a lot of those retailers in this boring middle go out of business completely, or even if they're still in business, they've been closing a lot of stores and are really struggling. Yeah. And they are slowly dying. We can say that their profit margins, it decreases from year to year and they are slowly dying. It's marketing, right? So it's much better to stand out than uh, being in this boring middle. And uh, actually you can be even average or below average in many things. But if you really stand out in one thing, then uh, I think it's still much better than just being average in everything. So yeah, I agree. And I, you know, I think that, you know, it's all, as I often say, you know, it's, it's always been important to have a unique value proposition, unique selling proposition, you know, stand out for sure. But I think what's really changed and continues to change is, you know, the the vast amount of choices, the ability for consumers to be looking at one retailer online and looking at another in a second, right? It's, It's so easy now to go around and find the best price, the best product, the best service, whatever. And at the same time, you know, consumers are increasingly distracted, right? Like, you know, there's so much information, there's so much noise, social media, the busyness of our lives. So to even get noticed is hard, you know, much harder than it's been in the past. Uh, But to really win that customer and keep them and do so profitably, bar just continues to be raised. And that's why we have to be truly remarkable. Do you think uh, brand uh, loyalty is a myth nowadays? So like 30, 40 years ago, it was more a thing than nowadays. I go to Walmart every time when I buy every Sunday, let's say I go Mm -hmm. to Target, whatever. Nowadays, it's not really a thing anymore. I don't think it's a myth, but I think it's a lot harder. I think loyalty has been eroded partially because, you know, as I was saying earlier, it's a lot easier to switch than, you know, again, when you had to go to a store to learn about a new store, you had to travel there, you know, there was a lot of friction. And so I think it was more likely, I mean, I know it was more likely that we were more inclined to stick with our choices, even if they were just okay. Now, it's so much easier to switch. So I think loyalty is definitely eroded, but I still think there are there are lots of brands where there is incredible loyalty. But the reason for that is they are remarkable. They are meeting customer relevant, intensely customer relevant. They know their customers. They've set their business model up in such a way to serve them continuously and to make money. But yeah, there are fewer and fewer brands where I think you can really say there's incredible customer loyalty. The other thing that I think that's really eroded loyalty is it's just also a lot easier to promote on price, right? I, I often talk about what I call the promiscuous you a shopper, you know, the shopper that really isn't loyal to anybody, you know, they'll go to acceptable places where they can get the best price. And now as consumers, it's very easy to know what a good price is. And of course, lots of retailers are hitting us all the time with promotions, you know, email discounts, you know, you name it. So it's just much more intense promotional environment. And and in that world, you know, it's easier for loyalty not to be so great. Can you mention a few real life examples, how a few retailers, they really stand out on the market? You know, I think there are quite a lot. I mean, you know, I suppose the obvious one in a lot of countries would be Amazon, you know, where they've really built in this incredible model. I don't often like to use Amazon though as an example because number one, they're not really a retailer. You know, probably a lot of people know that Amazon now in what they call the retail business makes almost all their money in advertising. So retail is almost a loss leader for them to sell other things. So there's very, very few retailers that can compete on that basis. But I, I think brands like Apple for sure have a tremendous amount of customer loyalty and that's both because of the products they deliver. It's because of the brand image they 
create and kind of their whole ecosystem, which keeps you very locked in. One of the retailers, which is really at this point only in the US, is RH, used to be Restoration Hardware. And, you know, they're not a very digitally driven company, but I think what they've done, the lesson from them is they've really, really focused on a fairly narrow set of customers and really try to meet their needs in a very direct way. I think that's one of the key ways to figure out how you can be remarkable. It's really, really understand your customer, really understand what they value. And if you can do that, they'll they'll pay a premium price and keep you low. But there's lots, you know, in lots of different different segments. I think we can find retailers that have done extremely well, whether it's more on the price side or convenience side, or it's more luxury and high end. So uh, yeah, Apple is a great example. I think it's the biggest company when it comes to evaluation. It's amazing their branding and how it's built up. The other one is Target. So I mentioned this company mm-hmm. at the beginning of this conversation, and I've been following this company for years, also on the stock market and, you know, in different ways. What do you think, what is the key of their growth? For me, it seems to be a rock solid company with mm-hmm. amazing growth. Well, I think historically, and then I'll talk about some of the things they've done over the last few years, you know, a lot of people I'm sure know Target, a lot of people may not be as familiar. I mean, they, they're really, you know, kind of a hypermarket discount mass merchant at its core. They're in a lot of categories, generally very price competitive categories. But I think what they've been able to do is elevate the store experience above, you know, say a Walmart or Carrefour or other brands like that around the world through visual merchandising, through product design. And I think that has created a little bit more of price premium, and it's also created a lot of, of a loyalty. What they've been doing over the last several years in particular, though, and I would say largely in response to the growth of e-commerce and the growth of Amazon in particular, is number one, they've been developing very powerful private brands. So brands that are proprietary to them. And they have, I think now, five or six brands that do over a billion dollars in sales. And they're about a $100 billion US company. And what's important about that is, you know, it creates a point of differentiation, a reason for you to go to Target instead of Walmart. Walmart or a supermarket or whatever, but it also means you can't easily price shop their brands because these brands are only available at Target. So when you think about a world where people are searching to find the best price on a particular brand, they've neutralized that. It's not impossible, obviously, to compare, but they've neutralized price shopping advantage that Amazon and some others have. The particular thing, though, that they've done that's super interesting, and it was really the focus of the Remarkable Retail Podcast episode that you mentioned, is they've really thought about how to blend digital and physical in a much more profound way. So they've absolutely improved their e-commerce capabilities, their digital marketing, all those kinds of things that have become so important. But they've really recognized that there's really no such thing as the e-commerce channel and the brick and mortar channel. It's all just shopping. And so their job is to figure out how do you best take care of the customer across a spectrum of needs, across a spectrum of customer journeys. And the answer for them beyond getting better at e-commerce was to really invest in their physical stores. And of course, this goes across the narrative against the narrative that everything's moving online. Ordering and marketing is moving online, but often customers want to leverage a store. And, you know, they really understood that and they've invested in the technology to make that happen. So now something like 20% of all their business is ordered online, but 95% of their business is fulfilled from a store, whether that's the customer coming in to pick it up or whether it's shipped from a store through the mail or delivered to someone's home. But they're leveraging their store inventory and their store infrastructure. And I think from a profitability standpoint, that is much more powerful than trying to kind of out Amazon invest in a lot of new distribution capability and very expensive home delivery. This is really interesting. When I was in the US last time, I exactly did the same. I uh, looked for a product on Google. I found it uh, on the website of Target and I just went to the closest store and I bought the product. Mm-hmm. So especially millennials and younger people, I think we do this. I still prefer the real life experience and the touch of the product. I rarely buy things 100% online and still prefer going to the store. 
work. And it's really interesting what you also mentioned, because that would be my next question. So when I um, looked into your profile and, and, you know, your presentations, you talk a lot about the e-commerce penetration and um, how it changed during COVID and post-COVID. And uh, e-commerce business owners, marketers, they always say that COVID really accelerated the penetration of uh, e-commerce into society. We are um, five, ten years ahead than right. we were yeah, without COVID. E-commerce people, they say it. Of course, they are biased, but I think you have a different opinion on this. And also, maybe the numbers show something, but maybe right. it's not what matters, right? So what, what's your take on this? Topic? Well, you know, there's, there's a few things on this. I mean, one, you know, if you just look at the data, at least in the U.S., I haven't looked at a lot of other markets. So I've had some conversations with people in the U.K. and Canada and a few other places. If you actually look at the data overall, it's a little bit different by product category. Overall, in the last few months, we are pretty much at the e-commerce penetration that you would have anticipated because e-commerce penetration growth has been 14, 15, 16 percent for a number of years. Now, we saw, I think what was a little bit misleading and, and got a lot of news was there was a period early in COVID when stores were largely closed that e-commerce went from about 15 percent penetration to like 30. And, you know, people worked out with, you know, that was kind of where it was predicted to be. But it was pretty clear that wasn't going to last unless the world fell apart because as e-commerce went up. But the main thing was that physical went way down. So the ratio changed, but that was very misleading. So just as we got into the more middle part of COVID, we already saw that penetration start to moderate, but it was definitely elevated. But I think what we're seeing now is people are going back to stores more and more. And I think that's because, you know, to your point, there's lots of reasons why stores are powerful. They offer immediate gratification. You get to see things more easily and pick them out, put outfits together, you know, all those sort of things. Take stuff home with you right away rather than wait. Maybe you don't have a good place for things. So there's powerful reasons why physical stores are likely to represent 75, 80% of all retail for years to come. So there's just, I think, a lot of misinformation. The other thing that I think is really interesting and probably more useful as people think about their strategies is to go back to what I was saying before, which is most of those numbers quote where the product is ordered. And I think there's this general narrative that is as e-commerce grows, that is at the expense of physical retail. And that is absolutely sometimes true, but it is often not because physical stores, as many of these digitally native vertical brands are learning, are actually important to marketing and acquiring customers. But to the point about Target and for many other retailers, they're also often important to the fulfillment of the product and actually being able to fulfill the product profitably. So what we actually saw in COVID is that physical stores became more important rather than less, even as e-commerce is growing you know, much more quickly. There's a little bit of a funky thing now because the numbers were so elevated where physical retail and e-commerce growth are, are relatively similar. But I'm pretty sure, you know, six months from now, it'll be the case that e-commerce growth will be back to, you know, 10 plus percent and physical retail transactions will be, you know, three or four percent. But it, it's really from a strategy standpoint to understand how digital and physical work together and not just conclude that e-commerce growth means you've got to close a bunch of stores or you shouldn't invest in your stores. Because if you had done that, you know, if Target had done that, they probably would be in very, very serious trouble right now. That's really interesting that you mentioned. I think uh, digital marketing is really effective and e-commerce to get the attention of people, but uh, fulfillment through physical stores. I think the other uh, main reason why physical stores are still really important is building a community. And I can see brands moving into this direction. Right. When I lived in uh, Barcelona, I could go to a Nike store on the beach and I could get uh, running shoes for one week without paying anything. Yeah. And I think that's amazing. Like uh, mm -hmm. I could try product 
products and also people could go to the store and just work there on their laptop. Right. So I think these are all right. amazing. Or if we go to an Apple store, people, they always say that the attention to detail and uh, how much they care about the customer, it's exceptional. So all of these are crucial and uh, you won't get this on a website. I think one of the things I going to say is that I, I think we have to be careful. You know, retail is a very diverse, complex, huge industry. You know, obviously certain things are different by country. They're different by, by product category. And I think there's a tendency to make a lot of sweeping generalizations about retail. You know, if you say, oh, well, you know, convenience is incredibly important, but yet you see people line up outside an Apple store for hours, mm -hmm. right? Exactly. So that does, so speed and convenience doesn't seem to be particularly important to the retailer that happens, as you pointed out, to be the most valuable company on the planet. So we have to be very careful about making these generalizations. I think an important distinction, and I get into this in, in my book a little bit, and I did not come up with this idea, but I really like emphasizing it is what some people call the difference between buying and shopping, or, you know, some, I have a client that talks about it as errands versus experiences. And so, you know, there are a lot of products where, and it gets a little bit to your point about brand loyalty where we're looking to fulfill a need simply, quickly at an affordable price. And the internet's really good at that. You know, if I know I want this book or these batteries or whatever, and, you know, I just want to get it off my to-do list, well then go to Amazon or maybe some other places and click, 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 you know, it takes 15 seconds and it shows up on your door. You know, that's where the internet really wins. And generally speaking, other than, you know, sort of weekly grocery shopping or whatever, it's not particularly store dominant. But when you start to think about where you really want to browse rather Rather than search or where you may need sales help or where you may need to look at something and see the quality of it or try something on or, yeah. you know, have that social experience, be with other people. You know, part of the Apple thing is, you know, you're with people like you, like you're part of a community that, like you said, you can't get online. So I think it's very important to understand, you know, where you are. The problem, again, is to be in the middle. You know, you have to sort of decide, am I about price, convenience, assortment, you know, helping somebody get something they want to get done very easily? Or am I about really trying to create that more emotional connection, whether that is social or whether, you know, the product I'm buying says a lot about me and I want to have a more full experience. You know, not deciding is the problem, but I think we're going to continue to see the experience side be, you know, largely physically dominant, enabled by digital technology for sure. And sometimes, you know, you'll acquire that customer in a store and then in the future, they'll buy from you once they get to know you and they understand the product quality and they understand mm -hmm. you. So, I mean, it's important to really look at that, I think, on a very detailed, specific basis. I have more question to you. So um, let's say someone has a successful e-commerce business. Most of our listeners, they are in e-commerce, so not in retail. Someone has a successful e-commerce store and at what point they should start getting into retail? Is there a few rules to follow or it's really different in each case? What do you think? It is certainly a bit different by category, geography, you know, etc. But I think what we've seen with pure play e-commerce companies is that early growth tends to come from customers that are relatively easy to find. And they're easy to find because you have a real compelling product. And there's a segment of customers that understand it very easily, are willing to buy online, and you don't have to spend that much money to acquire them. So you see this rapid growth. There's a point at which, and you know, for some brands, that'll be a million dollars. For other brands, that'll be $50 million. But pretty early on, there's a point at which you have to go find customers. Your product is not necessarily as good a fit for them. 
And this is where we see a lot of the digitally native vertical brands right now, or you know, over the last several years, is you know they've had to go find and basically steal. They've gotten big enough where they start to have to steal customers from some of the industry players, and that tends to be harder to do, both because maybe you have to offer a big discount, maybe you have to spend a tremendous amount of, of money to acquire that customer and, and keep them spending. The other question, aside from the marketing dynamics of that, is is your total addressable market limited? by not having enough people that are willing to buy just online. So I think particularly in apparel and related products, we've seen a lot of these digitally native brands need to get into physical stores because they do the research and they understand that the reluctance of customers that might be a pretty good fit for them is they want to see it. They want to understand the value in person. They want to be able to try it on, maybe put an outfit together. So I don't think there's any you know rule of thumb, but I think you know there's very few pure play e-commerce companies of any size that are profitable. And some of that has to do with you need to have stores to get to the total addressable market. You actually may find it cheaper to acquire customers in store than paying Facebook and all these other players a ton of money to kind of break through your feed. And also in many cases, though, this is more of an apparel or footwear issue is that returns are very high online. And I think, you know, part of the push towards physical stores is returns are very, very costly. And instead of, you know, 30, 40% online, they're probably more like five or 6% in store. So, you know, I don't, I don't think we're going to see very many pure play online retailers um, of any real size in the future. So it kind of depends on your aspiration. If you can make money and you're happy with a you know, couple million dollar business, that's one thing. If you've taken venture capital money and need to get to a hundred million dollar plus, there's a pretty good chance you're going to need to to open stores. And that's a whole different thing. I can see the same. And uh, I've had a few growth hackers in this podcast. And all, all what they say is that around 50 million, 80 million dollars okay. in revenue per year, they have to go offline open brick and mortar stores or go get into Walmart, Target, whatever. I had this conversation with a few online marketers that maybe Google, Facebook, and all of these big ad platforms, they are built in a way that they really benefit for small businesses, but they don't want to see a monopoly. And uh, that's a whole different conversation. Well, you know, it's been the case. It's been the case that I saw this with some clients and just in general talking to people five or six years ago, that incremental cost, you know, now that you start to understand which sort of customers are a good fit for you, you know, now you have to go find those customers. But the thing is, you know, you get to a certain size you're starting to bid against the bigger brands that already understand their customers very well. So you get into this pricing war where you're starting to pay more and more for customers that may be less valuable. And so a lot of a lot of the digital native vertical brands started to run into that issue a few years ago where it was getting harder and harder to find customers profitably. Then when Apple, I mean, aside from, you know, just Facebook and others getting more sophisticated about pricing, you know, which was driving the online marketing costs up, then you have the privacy changes as well, which has made it even more difficult. So it is very difficult to be able to acquire customers profitably online past a certain point. I have heard the 50, 60 million dollar number a bunch of times, but you know, some smaller categories, it, it would even be less than that. Some bigger categories, yeah, of perhaps a bit higher. Yeah. Thank you, Steve, for the conversation today. I think it was sure. really interesting to hear. We rarely have guests from the retail world. We focus on e-commerce, but as uh, everyone can see, after a while, the two words, let's say, they merge and uh, they become one in most cases as a business grows. So thanks again. And thanks everyone who listened to us today. If you like this interview, then subscribe to our YouTube channel and you will 
get two interviews every week. If you listen to the podcast, then make sure you follow us and give us an honest review. Steve, if anyone wants to find you and uh, listen to your talks and, and presentations, uh, where they should go? Sure. Well, if you if you Google Steve in retail, I'll probably show up pretty high, but um, I'm all over social media. Generally, uh, it's at Steven with a V, P as in Peter, Dennis, and my website is stevenpdennis.com. And uh, the Remarkable Retail Podcast is available on all the major platforms. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, and stay tuned.